the New Testament. First, uh, Psalm, Psalm um, 18, verse 6 and 16, or excuse me, um, yeah, verse 6 and 16. It says, in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. I called to my God for help. God heard my voice from his temple. I called to him for help, and my call reached his ears. From on high, God reached down and grabbed me. He took me out of all that water. And then Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I raise my eyes towards the mountain. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then John chapter 11, verses 32 through 45. When Mary arrived in Jesus, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. And he asked, where have you laid him? And they replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said he healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. And having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with a cloth. Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came with Mary and saw Jesus did believe in him. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of these words this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these scriptures. We thank you that you speak to us as we read them and hear them read to us. So Lord, any, anything that may have stuck out in our minds this morning just by hearing the word of God read, help us to hold on to that. Help us to chew on that. Help us to think about why, why that may have stuck out to us and why that may speak to us today. And Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to me, through me uh, in these coming moments. And Lord, I pray always speak in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thomas is an all-in-all -all good guy. He's a family man. He goes to church on a regular basis. He treats people well at work. He's respected by many people. 
in recent years has even grown in his faith and is committed to become a more faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. One day after work, he's on his way to the church for a Bible study, and he realizes that his gas tank is on E. So he needs to quickly find a gas station and make sure he's not too late for Bible study. So he calmly drives to the nearest gas station. He pulls up to pump number four. He turns off the vehicle. He pops the gas tank lid and proceeds to enter to pay for the gas right there at the pump. And Thomas quickly realizes that his debit card is missing, only to realize that he left it on his desk at work because he ordered something online just earlier that afternoon. Knowing that his debit card was safe, he didn't have to panic about it being lost, but luckily he had $30 cash in his wallet. Although it was a little more inconvenient for him to walk into a convenience store, ironic, he quickly locks his doors and shuffles into the store, only to find that there's three people ahead of him in line. The first person was paying for their milk and bread with cash and also fumbling in their wallet or purse to try to find exact change instead of breaking another bill. And this kind of raked his nerves a little bit. He's thinking, you know, come on, let's speed this up. But alas, the person pays for the bread and the milk, and the next person in line was also getting gas. And they ordered gas along with a pack of cigarettes. And the clerk fumbled around trying to find the right pack as the person said, no, 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 not that kind, um, the kind above you. Uh, um, now to your left. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I mean, your left, not my left. Yeah, th those are the ones. And by this time, Thomas is getting a little more frustrated. What seemed like an eternity. As he's waiting patiently, he wished he could have just interjected and put the money on the table and said, $30 on pump four, please. I'll be out there. After the order was complete, the next person just had a soda that they filled up at the fountain in the back of the store and the person happened to be holding their debit card ready to pay for the drink and Thomas thought, now this person's prepared. They shouldn't be too long at all. Plus she has a debit card, that sure would be nice. And just as soon as the clerk reached for the soda and said, is that all for you? The soda is accidentally tipped over and spreads across the counter like a broken wave spreading across wet sand at the beach. And Thomas, trying to be as patient as possible, knew that he was going to be late to Bible study at this point. He's so angry inside that he doesn't even offer a hand to grab napkins. And he just watches the customer and the clerk clean up as he stands there hovering, rubbing that 20 and $10 bill so fast together you thought a fire might start. And the clerk tells the customer, well, just go ahead and get another drink. And while she does that, the heavens open up and finally it's Thomas's turn. And he mumbles, 30 on four, in a passive-aggressive voice and hoped that the clerk would get the message that he was upset about how long he had to wait in the line. And then he gets out to the gas pump and he starts pumping $30 into his vehicle and he squeezes the gas pump as hard as he can as if that's actually going to make a difference in the gas coming out faster. Have you tried that? doesn't work. And when it gets to $29, the gas pump begins to go in slow motion. It always does. And he's about to lose it. And he's just ready to get into the vehicle and go to church for the Bible study. 
and he becomes so impatient that he couldn't even make it to $30. He just stopped it at $29.63. He jams the, the, the gas uh, nozzle back into the pump. He screws the gas cap on so tight that it overclicks 10 times. Then he slams that little gas lid for satisfaction. And as he turns into his vehicle, at this point, as he's about to get into his car and he opens it, he sees a man approaching him about his age, and the man has tears in his eyes. And by the looks of him, Thomas would guess that he probably hadn't eaten in a while. And he potentially maybe didn't even have a home. And the man politely asked Thomas if there was anything he could do for him in regards to getting something to eat for dinner. Anything would help, he said. Thomas always kept a crisp $50 bill in his glove box for emergencies or if there was a need. But he just was not in the mood to be giving that away. He was late for Bible study. And he wasn't up to helping someone who was in need as wrong as he knew that that may have sounded. But what Thomas doesn't realize is that man lost his wife and children in a tragic accident a year ago. And that the man became so depressed that he couldn't even begin to function daily. He was just in a haze. He felt all alone. He had no motivation for even living anymore. His depression led him to alcohol. And eventually alcohol on a daily basis around the clock to fill the void and the pain that he had in his heart. And before he realized what he had done, he was already addicted. He ended up losing his well-paying job because there were just too many days where he just wasn't showing up. He got a DWI at one point. The bank eventually took his home because he wasn't paying his mortgage. And he was hungry, and he was on the streets, and he was at a true place of rock bottom. But Thomas looks at the man as his driver door is still halfway open, and he says, Sir, I want to tell you something. God helps those who help themselves. Always remember that. But I'll be praying for you. And Thomas gets in the car and drives away to church for Bible study, while the man in need walks away with more tears in his eyes. That's a fictional story that I made up this week. But how many of you have ever heard the statement, God helps those who help themselves. How many of you have heard that or even said that? And it's okay because a lot of us probably have. Let's just say it together. Re say it with me. God helps those who help themselves. So in this, um, every Sunday in um, September, I'm going to talk about one of these statements. It's based off a, uh, a book called Half-Truths by Reverend Adam Hamilton. Um, it's a book that came out several years ago, but um, so it's loosely based on this, but these are some um, these are some, some sayings that are in Christian language that oftentimes we inherit and say, um, often out of good intent. Um, so my aim here is, is not in these coming weeks to condemn us or to make us feel awful if we've ever said this or think that or believe it, because many of us have, uh, have said them and have, they've been told to us because we've, we've heard them and at some point in our lives and we've took them as absolute truth. And these statements are, as I said, they're often coming from a place of very good intent, not meaning to do harm, um, but, but just a place where maybe we don't know what else to say. And my hope in the coming weeks is to present um, some 
truth that may be in these statements, but also some of the dangerous parts of these statements and what they can convey about God to others. So first and foremost, um, God helps those who help themselves is not a verse in the Bible. You're not going to find it. There was a Barna study done uh, in recent years. I think um, they polled over a thousand Christians um, who were uh, practicing adult Christians. And Barna found that 52% of those practicing Christians strongly agree that the Bible teaches God helps those who help themselves. And of course, just because something isn't in the Bible doesn't mean it's true. For example, if I said God loves everyone on the Delmarva Peninsula, that's a true statement. But you can look the rest of your life. You're not going to find the words God loves everybody on the Delmarva Peninsula in Scripture. Delmarva didn't get a shout out in the Bible. But it's still true that God loves everyone on Delmarva. So my aim this morning is to address um, what is potentially true about this statement um, and also what is certainly untrue about the statement. So first, what, what's kind of true about this? Well, God helps those who help themselves, helps themselves. It can be a reminder to us that we're not just people who pray, but we also work, and we also have, a, have responsibilities in life, and we also have um, things that we need to do also to get things done, as well as we pray for them as we're doing them. So for example, when I graduated college in 2009 from Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, Go App. We almost beat Penn State yesterday. Did anybody see that? All right. Anyway, uh, almost. But when I graduated from there, I went a couple months before I moved home and uh, was a youth director at a church. But I didn't know that at the time. So when I graduated, my role was to find a job in North Carolina and become an elementary teacher. So if I just stayed in my house in North Carolina and just prayed every day, Lord, I pray that I get a job as a teacher. Chances are, God's not going to send principals from the local school district to my front door. Chances are, I probably would have never gotten a teaching job or maybe just been un unemployed forever. Because if I'm just sitting there and just praying for it but not doing anything, um, probably um, I'm just not going to get that job. But I s still pray. Lord, I pray that there's a position. But then I, I also have to work on a resume. I also have to look at job openings in the area. I also have to go and meet principals and go to job fairs and all of these things. And in the midst of that, if something happened, uh, that could be also an answered prayer. But you see there's a sense of, of praying but also working and also being intentional about doing things. So in a way, yes, God helps those who help themselves because there are certain things in life that, that we just have to do, but we are prayerful about them as well. We roll up our sleeves and, and we get to work, so to speak. There are things that we have to put effort in for and, and to work towards them in life, and that includes even growing in our own faith. You know, if we say, God, I pray that I grow in my faith this year, but, but we stop coming to church or we stop um, 
uh, reading the Bible or we stop uh, meeting with other Christians and, and, and all these things, chances are we're not going to grow in our faith much. We have to be intentional about that as well. So in a sense, we can see that there is a little bit of truth in this statement. But what makes the statement untrue? God helps those who help themselves. What makes this statement dangerous to say to others is we truly don't know where others have been or where they currently are in their life journey. And even in the fictional story that I created to begin the sermon, Thomas didn't know this man was at rock bottom and that he was at a place where he couldn't help himself. So let me tell you about two true true stories. One in scripture and one from somebody I know. First, Lazarus, the scripture that I read about Lazarus. Lazarus was sick. When Jesus heard about this, he didn't go right away, but he, he, Jesus kind of hung out where he was for another couple days. And after that time, Jesus decided, okay, now let's go see Lazarus with his disciples. And Jesus knew that Lazarus had died. And when Jesus gets to where Lazarus is, he learns that Lazarus was already in the tomb and wrapped up in his grave clothes for four days. And of course, Mary and Martha at different times tell Jesus, if you had been here earlier, Jesus, our brother wouldn't be dead. If you would have showed up just a little earlier, he wouldn't have died. And in the midst of suffering and in the midst of weeping, they take Jesus to the tomb that Lazarus was buried in. And Jesus wept himself, according to the scripture. So Lazarus is dead, Lazarus is helpless, and Jesus orders for the tomb to be removed, uh, the stone covering the cave, remove it. And Martha's like, Jesus, it's gonna be a little stinky up in there. He's been in there four days. I, I I don't think that's the best idea. But eventually, they listen, and they remove the stone, and Jesus thanks the Father that he has been heard, and Jesus calls in that loud voice for Lazarus to come out. And that's exactly what happens. Can you imagine the faces of the people witnessing this mummy-like figure wrapped in grave clothes coming out of this tomb after he had been laid in there for four days? He comes back to life. He was dead, like really dead. He died, and Jesus brought him back to life. Lazarus is like one of the only tombstones you would see walking through a graveyard where it says, Lazarus, born here, died here. And then underneath it, it would say, and also died here, because eventually he would die again. But he had two deaths. And Jesus ordered that those grave clothes, those linens that are wrapping him up and binding him, says, take them off and let him go. So something happened to Lazarus on that day, and it was all God that made it happen. Dead people can't help themselves, but God can. Let me tell you about a story of someone that I know from a previous church that I was a part of before I became a pastor. At 16 years old, she was using drugs. She was addicted to alcohol, which had gone back even to her middle school years when it started. And at 16 years old, 
the girl discovers she's pregnant. And some of you know from personal experience when someone gets pregnant at an age that's often not expected, there can be guilt and shame. And God help us, even from the local church. A 16-year-old pregnant. She decides with the guy that she's dating that it would just be best to get an abortion. Her and her boyfriend were both using drugs, and she didn't care about her life. So how could she care for another life? She doesn't even care about herself. She had no interest in changing her life. She was hopeless. So she proceeds to make an appointment to get an abortion that was going to be in another state. One of her friends agreed to give her money to do it. Her sister was going to meet her there, even though the sister didn't agree with it. And a day before the appointment, I reached out to this person this week and want to get the story straight. And she said the week before the appointment, she decided to skip, or the day before the appointment to get the abortion, she decided to skip school like she'd done often. And as she was skipping school, she was riding in a vehicle with a friend, and the friend who was driving was high. And she hadn't smoked on that particular day because she was feeling nausea from the pregnancy. And as they were crossing 113, the vehicle she was in failed to yield, and they were hit by another vehicle on the passenger side that she was sitting in the days leading up to the abortion, she felt dead inside. And as this vehicle came towards them, just before the car struck them, she remembers crying out, I don't want to die. Which was the first time that she felt like that in a really long time. And she felt God speak to her and say, I'm not done with you. And you will have this child. The car was destroyed, and they had to somehow just pull her out of the car, and they did. A firefighter friend that she knew growing up with, as she was on the stretcher, he told her, everything's going to be okay. And when she was at the hospital, her mother came to see her because, of course, her daughter was just an accident, and that's where her mother came to see her. And she looked at her mother and said, Mom, I'm pregnant and I'm going to have the baby. And the mom needed a minute, of course. Went into another room for a second. Wasn't expecting to hear that, coming to comfort a child in an accident. And since that time where she felt God in such a powerful way, she told me this week since then she's been drug-free. She hasn't had a cigarette since that day. She started going to church. She graduated early. And she gave birth to the baby. But she told me there are still times where she has doubted God's love for her. Where she questions why things have happened. And there are times even since then where she has felt very far from the presence of God. But she says with absolute truth, since that day, 
she has never questioned the existence of God. God saved her when she didn't even want to be saved. God interrupted what she saw for herself and changed everything. God helped her when she could not help herself or was even looking for help. Brothers and sisters, this is a story about my beautiful wife, Emily. And the child she gave birth to is Luke, our amazing son. I still remember being there the morning he was baptized. This is a picture of that. I didn't even know them then. I was just, you know, on staff at the church, and, you know, it was baptism Sunday, and they called somebody up to get baptized, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm watching Luke get baptized and watching Emily up there with her sister and brother-in-law, and little did I know that I was watching my future family and that I was uh, there witnessing the baptism of my future son. You know, in both these stories, we see two people who were at a place where Lazarus didn't know that he was helpless because he was dead, and Emily didn't even want help. But yet God still moved in their lives and helped them when they could not help themselves. God is the one who came to them, not the other way around. God acted first. God always acts first in our lives. God is always the initiator. There's a term that we use for this in the church, a term we use when we talk about how God is at work in our lives, a term that we talk about God's unmerited favor in our lives, God being faithful to us and loving towards us, even when we, dis, we, even when we are disobedient and unfaithful to God, it's a word we call grace. It's God's amazing grace. And grace, brothers and sisters, is all about God's action in our lives, even though we don't deserve it and even though we can't earn it. Sin leads us to death, and because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are rescued from that slavery to sin and death. And we couldn't do any—when we, as, as Christians, when we couldn't do anything to help ourselves, Christ died and rose again, defeating sin and death offering us new life, or as Scripture puts it in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God proves his love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So yes, in a sense, God does help those who help themselves. But in the case of Lazarus, in the case of Emily, in the case of all Christians, in the case of many other examples, countless examples in Scripture, we certainly see that God helps those who cannot help themselves. And sometimes our cry in life is like Psalm 18. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. I called to my God for help. From on high, God reached down and grabbed me. He took me out of that water. 
Or as Psalm 121 says, I raise my eyes to the mountains. Where is it that my help will come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's the cry of some of the psalmists in the scriptures. And from Lazarus to Emily and all throughout history, God has been in the business of helping those who cannot help themselves. But do you know what else is true? Oftentimes, God uses other people to help others when they are helpless. Just look at a little example of what our church did just a couple weeks ago at Frederick Douglass, the school we partnered with. We presented it to the church. We said there are families in need. There are kids who need backpacks and school supplies. There are families who are out of place in their lives lives where they're just not going to be able to send their kids to school. And instead of judging the parents and trying to think, what are they doing in their life where they're wasting money on this or that, where they couldn't get their kids things, we just, we show compassion anyway. And we say, these kids are in need, and it was presented to you, and it touched the hearts of our church, and you all responded. And God touched your heart in a way that helped you to bless others who maybe couldn't help themselves. And it was an honor for me just to be there that night and just get a couple small glimpses of families and kids entering into the cafeteria, picking out book bags and smiling, or families just saying, oh my gosh, the school supplies are in there as well? You have no idea how much this means and how much this helps us. Thank you. God often touches the hearts of his people so that we can be the ones who respond to help the need of someone else. God cares deeply for the poor and the neglect and those who are neglected and those who are oppressed. And God uses us, the church, as being part of helping those who cannot help themselves. Leviticus in the Old Testament says, when you harvest your land's produce, you must not harvest all the way to the edge of your field. And don't gather every remaining bit of your harvest. Leave these items for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord your God. Or in Proverbs chapter 31 says, Speak on behalf of the voiceless and for the rights of all who are vulnerable. Speak out in order to judge with righteousness and to defend the needy and the poor. Or Isaiah chapter 1, Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Or even Jesus in Luke chapter 4 when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor and to proclaim release to the prisoners. Or in 1 John in the New Testament, but if a person has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and that person doesn't care, how can the love of God remain in him? These are just five of some 2,000 verses in Scripture on poverty and justice and God's care for the poor and how God wants to use us. This week, we went to the YMCA in Dover. We went to the outdoor pool. And after we swam, uh, there's a little playground there. And Luke's getting a little more ambitious, uh, ambitious on some of the playgrounds, but he gets on one of these things here. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, it's funny, I know. And he's on, he's pretty high up in the air. I mean, my head might be level with his feet in that picture. And uh, it's like time to go. And I'm noticing that he's not 
scared, but he's just kind of looking around and he's thinking, nope, like I can't get down. And um, I'm like, come on, bud, you know, and I'm trying to climb and he's just like uh, kind of letting me know that he's stuck, like he needs help. So I climb up on the equipment and then I pull him down and a few minutes later, he goes right back and he's sitting there again. So I grabbed a couple pictures and as he's sitting there, he, it, it really is time to go at this point and I'm trying to encourage him to climb or, you know, I'm underneath him and all this stuff, but, but he can't. He, you know, I can't just look at them and look at him in that and say, Luke, you know, you need to help yourself. God helps those who help themselves, buddy. Come on, get down. Just pray and jump. He, he needed help. He needed his father to come get him. And that's what I had to do. So this is the point this morning. Saying God helps those who help themselves is something that can come across as extremely unloving and not compassionate at all. It can also be a cop-out to not help someone who truly is in need. So yes, in a sense, there is some truth to it. If we're simply talking about being intentional about spiritual growth and working hard and, you know, yes, we pray and we work and we roll up our sleeves, all those things are true. But overall, God helps those who help themselves can become more truthful if we rather say, because of God's grace, God helps those who cannot help themselves. And to that, I say thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we come before you and we we're just reminded that you love us. Even when we are helpless, even when we cannot help ourselves. Lord, there are times where we can help ourselves, where we can make steps forward. But there are other times where we're at rock bottom and we have no other place to go but to depend on you and to call on you for help and to look to the hills to know that our help comes from you. So Lord, help us to reconsider what this statement might imply to others. Help us to know that as Christians, we're all in a helpless place. But when we cry out to you, we experience forgiveness, love, and reconciliation. And we thank you for your grace in our lives. We need your grace. Because truly it is amazing. And as we come to the table this morning and prepare for Holy Communion, I invite you just to take a moment in silence to reflect on maybe some places in your life where you need to ask for forgiveness or maybe God is nudging you this morning to put your faith in Christ. Things we need to repent of and ask forgiveness for, let us just take a moment. <laughs>